Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me now on the new Fox Sports app, also at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Let the overreaction begin. The Warriors went into Barkley Center and ran away from Kevin Durant, James Harden, especially James Harden, and the Brooklyn Nets for a 117-99 win. This means, of course, that the Warriors are the best team in the league and are going to win the Western Conference, right? That's certainly the way Warriors fans would like to see it. Ah, if only life were so easy, or at least life in the NBA. I don't want to be a contrarian just for the sake of being a contrarian, but I saw as many things that pointed up questions about the Warriors' championship capabilities in this game as things that made me nod my head and think this team could very well wind up in the finals. Before I get to that, let's boil down why or how the Warriors wound up doing what they did to the Nets. First off, their depth and the depth of their athleticism was a huge factor. The Warriors bench outscored the Nets subs 17-4 to in the first half. When KD went cold in the third quarter, going 0 for 8, the Nets went cold collectively as well, and clearly it affected their defense. Warriors shot 72% in the third quarter, the Nets 22%. Outscored overall 35-18 in the period. That was good night. Even while the Nets were leading for most of the first quarter by as many as 9 at one point, I thought the Warriors were in good shape. I'm not sure exactly why the referees came into this game thinking that they had to temper everyone's enthusiasm right out of the gate, but they did. Calling five fouls, almost all of them touch fouls as I recall, in the first three and a half minutes. Now refs generally do that when there is history between two teams or they are expecting a very physical contest, neither of which really applies here. Not a whole lot of history. Well, maybe if you want to look at the KD 
Steph, Draymond, but that they would get physical? I don't think so. But early fouls, especially on guys who have to play in the post, like Draymond Green and Blake Griffin, both of whom picked up a foul, early foul, immediately limits how aggressive they can be. I didn't understand it, and I didn't like it. But the Warriors suffered the worst of it, at least as far as fouls were called. Nine first quarter fouls on the Warriors to the Nets three, resulting in the Nets outscoring the Warriors at the free throw line in the first 12 minutes, 10 to three. I figured that wouldn't hold up because they were some sketchy calls. And indeed it didn't. The Warriors actually wound up outscoring the Nets in free throws 22 to 21 for the game. Second, Steph Curry was on fire from the start, hitting four of five three-pointers out of the gate. Patty Mills couldn't do anything to slow him down. Now, I knew Steph wouldn't be maintaining that pace, but generally when he has an off night, he is off from the start. When he has a decent night, he might start off rough and then find his stroke somewhere in the second half. Very rarely does he start off hot and then go cold. He was very much on all night in the Barkley Center, going 12 for 19 and 9 for 14 from three-point range. Not all that surprising considering he had a very disappointing performance at home against his hometown team, the Charlotte Hornets, in a loss. The biggest reason it became immediately apparent to me that the Warriors were going to be the better team on this particular night is that no matter who they had on the floor, they looked like the far more athletic team. Without Paul Millsap or LaMarcus Aldridge, both of whom simply, well, Millsap wasn't available. We'll get to that. And Aldridge's game was just too fast for him. It meant that Blake Griffin had to play longer minutes than he normally would. And can I say this about James Harden? He looks fat. He looks out of shape. And not completely engaged. He couldn't stop Otto Porter from scoring at will. He had a turnover in the first half when he traveled crossing half court because he picked up his dribble and then hesitated passing the ball and took an extra step. He can't or didn't give much of an effort at the defensive end, as I noted with Porter. And while he made it a concerted effort to score, he did in ISO situations and by clearly trying to draw contact, which worked about half of the time. That's a higher percentage than it's worked for most of the season. And I can only hope the referees are not easing up on their refusal to reward contact hunting by offensive players. Harden being Exhibit A. There was such a stark difference between how KD and Steph looked to score and the way Harden did. They were making moves to get a shot. Harden was making moves to get a free throw. I doubt Steve Kerr came into the game planning to flex the superior depth of his roster. I suspect the early rash of fouls had more to do with the fact that he played 11 players in the first quarter and 13 in the first half, while Steve Nash stuck with the more traditional rotation of eight. Nash was missing a host of players, not to mention Kyrie Irving, but there's only a couple of them outside of Kyrie that I could see playing in this game, and that's Nick Claxton and Joe Harris. The game, as I said, was too fast for Paul Millsap, who was out due to personal reasons. 
And the pace is why Marcus Aldridge, although available, never saw the floor. All those differences are exactly why you can't take this game as a harbinger of anything we might see in the playoffs if these two teams were to meet. Or even their abilities when it comes to the postseason. Because the Warriors aren't going to play 11, much less 13 players, against anybody. That right there disqualifies it as a signifier of anything regarding the postseason. Now, I know some Warriors fans are thinking, yeah, we're going to be even better because we'll have James Wiseman and Klay Thompson back by then. I'm trying to keep my expectations for Klay super low. As in, I just want to see him back, finishing the season, however long it is, without another major injury, and hope that he's able to have some moments where he is the old Clay. That's it. You can decide just how low I'm setting the bar. My feeling is everybody is setting it way too high. We've never seen a guy suffer two non-contact injuries at the level that he did and come back and play. I mean, play it all. If you know of a professional athlete in any sport who has blown out an ACL and an Achilles in the same two-year span and returned, not even returned to form, just returned to playing, hit me up. Because I'm all for optimism, but I'm also a big believer in precedent. That's why I don't really think my expectation is all that low. Maybe just realistic. Now, let me get to Wiseman. Those who are all excited about him coming back and are assuming he will make the Warriors better because they'll be putting a legit seven-footer on the floor don't really understand why the Warriors have been so damn good this season or the fact that they already have the number one defense in the league. It's because they're putting five guys on the floor who can all switch defensively, essentially throwing a huge wrench in the play every team runs about 80% of the time which is some form of the pick and roll. And unless Kavon Looney is on the floor, the Warriors are also putting five guys out there who can all knock down a three-pointer. If you're thinking, well, we'll just give Looney's minutes to Wiseman. There's a reason Wiseman lost his starting job to Looney as a rookie. Looney is a better rebounder and a better defender. Just because Wiseman is seven feet doesn't mean he's a shot blocker or that he understands the footwork necessary to be a good defender, or that he's as strong as Looney is. Shot blocking, by the way, is as much about timing and positioning as height and length. And if you're thinking of giving Nemanja Bielitsa's or Otto Porter's minutes to Wiseman, the space the Warriors have enjoyed on offense won't be the same. Space that Steph Curry, among others, have enjoyed. And, as I mentioned, their defense is already the most efficient in the league, because of that ability to switch everything, something they won't be able to do quite as freely when Wiseman returns. I'm not saying there's not a place for him on this team, and my educated guess is that Steve Kerr might approach using Wiseman different if the team hadn't got off to such a hot start. But their expectations for the season have risen from where they were going into training camp. And here's a problem, potential problem. If they don't play Wiseman, that then that then creates a potential distraction if he's unhappy and is willing to express it. 
there are certain fans, and you may think that that's reaching or that's looking for potential problems, but I just know the effect of social media and and young players and young players who want to prove something and see all the players taken ahead of them or even behind them getting an opportunity and them not getting it. And they don't care whether they're on a team that has a better chance of winning a championship than those, those teams. They're like, I'm number two pick. I deserve to play. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There are also certain fans, and maybe I shouldn't even call them fans because of what I'm about to say, that seem to live to just cut guys down on social media. Kobe White of the Bulls is two games back from shoulder surgery playing with a completely different team and completely different expectations. And I just fell upon a bunch of tweets where he was getting crucified because he was scoreless in 10 minutes. He was trending on Twitter at one point, getting crucified for being scoreless in 10 minutes, missing his two three-point attempts in a loss to the Blazers in Portland. I mean, come on. I have no doubt Wiseman who, as I said, was the 2020 number two overall pick, is hearing it from somewhere that the guys picked in front of him and behind him, Jonathan Edwards for the Timberwolves and LaMelo Ball for the Hornets, are lighting it up. And even by some chance, he's avoiding social media. He's seeing that they're both becoming stars. That, and that of the first five picks taken, he's averaging by far the fewest minutes. But that's what happens when a team finds itself with lofty expectations. The Porters and Bielitsas get minutes over the Wisemans and the Kamingas. It's why I don't expect Jonathan Kaminga or Moses Moody, this year's lottery picks for the Warriors, to see consistent minutes this season. This is the reason the Warriors are who they are. Because no one gets minutes based on where they were drafted or how much they're making. They might get the first shot at those minutes in a development year based on where they were drafted. But as we saw with Wiseman, you don't keep getting them if you don't earn them. And this isn't a development year, so Kaminga and Moody are tough out of luck. And never forget, Steve Kerr crafted his coaching style from Phil Jackson and Greg Popovich. He does they do not, or they did not, in the case of Phil, give anything to young players and Steve Kerr is of the same mind. The Warriors, outside of owner Joe Lacob, weren't thinking they could make a run at the finals this year. They weren't even 100% sure they were a playoff team. I'm not guessing at that. I'm telling you that. I know that. I've been told that. Not when they, and it's understandable. I mean, they didn't know where Jordan Poole's game was or what Bielitsa and Porter would be able to give them. Bielitsa has been a total revelation as not just a floor spacing five, but a playmaker. 
they didn't know how much they could play Andre Iguodala or what he would be coming back from Miami. They hoped he would be a semblance of what he was, but couldn't count on that. He certainly didn't look like that when he was playing for Miami last season. Now they're fairly certain they're going to be in the playoff mix. And who knows, maybe their confidence will take another step up if their current road trip goes as well as their home stands to this point have. But the wild talk of championships and best team in the West that is coming from Warriors fans and some media types who have been going hot and heavy with the bombastic statements is not shared by the team. Yes, Draymond has said their championship days are not over. And anyone who suggests that is being disrespectful. Okay, well, guilty as charged. I've said that. It's not disrespectful. Not when there's never been a team that has had a dynastic run, fallen off for two years, and then returned to championship form. Not with the same core. Kobe won with Shaq, and then he won with Powell. And a completely different roster three years later. This isn't Steph and a brand new band of warriors. Iguodala has to stay healthy. Draymond has to stay healthy. Clay has to get and stay healthy. All of them have to. Those aren't optional. The Warriors can't afford to lose any of the guys that I just mentioned. Not if they expect to win a championship. The title contenders around the league may be a deep and mixed bag, but those teams are loaded with a whole lot less wear and tear. This is the other tricky part of projecting the Warriors to have the same success in April and May that they're enjoying right now. They have a lot of guys who are contributing right now that have no idea what it takes to get past the second round. Not Wiggins, not Bielitsa, not Porter, certainly not Poole. What the Warriors have that their fans should be truly appreciative of, I am, is a team that allows them to dream right now of making some kind of magical run, of clearly being ready to print playoff tickets, while developing some younger players, allowing them to experience and maybe only view rather than participate in what it's like for a playoff team to function. So they get a chance to keep this a winning team when the current core needs to lean on them even harder than they are now, which, again, I would be taking this year by year. It's great what they're doing. Hopefully they can sustain it. This idea that they're going to get back to multiple championships is, is more unrealistic than thinking Clay Thompson is going to come back and be the exact same player he was the last time we saw him. Poole and Wiggins are the next two guys I see as essential parts of any postseason success that they might have. Which is why when I see them make decisions made now that would be backbreakers in a postseason game, it concerns me. Those are things that they're going to have to eliminate from their game before you get to April. Simple things like Wiggins not having his hands up or putting any pressure on Harden as he surveys the floor from above the arc. Giving James... A clear view, an easy lob to KD at the rim over Draymond, which is exactly what happened. Tie the score at 52-all. 
It's a momentary lapse and just one example, yes, but mental lapses are kind of a Wiggins trademark, and they simply can't happen in a playoff game. Or there's Poole coming down, and even Warriors fans are well aware of this. Comes down, forces a totally unnecessary shot early in the shot clock with the Warriors ahead. It's not some major failing on either of their parts. They've already grown by leaps and bounds since putting on a Warriors uniform. Overall, Warriors fans or anybody else should be ecstatic and impressed by what they've done. But playoff teams, good playoff teams, are going to force you into mistakes or decisions that don't work simply because they know what they're doing. So adding to the total by your own hand and cramped prefrontal cortex is ruinous. Now, then again, both Poole and Wiggins arrived a long way from championship caliber players as well. The good thing is that they're moving in the right direction. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I feel as if I've neglected the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks. I've talked very little about them this season. As of right now, they are 7-8, and eight, tied for 10th in the Eastern Conference. Cause for alarm or nothing to see here? Unless something more tantalizing comes along, let's get into that in the next episode. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 